I want to also welcome you back to uh, Princeton Seminary and especially back to Miller Chapel. When I travel and am in conversation with our alumni, I hear story after story about important decisions and commitments that altered people's lives were made right here in these pews. Maybe you have one of those stories as well. Recently, while engaged in some research about the missionaries that left from Princeton Seminary at the early part of the 20th century, I heard again story after story of men and women sitting in these pews and committing their life to a foreign mission field that they'd never been to before, and all because they heard the still, small voice of the Spirit speak to them right here at Miller Chapel. This is a hallowed hall. The Spirit is still speaking to our students today. But I want you to know that it's always your home church. Welcome back. Our text today comes to us from John chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we've gathered here to hear your word. No mortal words will do. So be gracious to our seeking. By your spirit, carry this word deep into the most protected corners of our hearts. We ask it in the name of the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Amen. In his gospel, John begins by tracing the ministry of the Son of God all the way back to creation, to the beginning, to the word that was with God and was God. So it's striking that he ends this gospel with a very tender conversation at a campfire between Jesus and Peter. As if maybe that's the point of the gospel, 
It's certainly the point of being a disciple. The risen Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? In the end, that's the question every disciple has to keep answering. Do you love Jesus? Perhaps Peter responded too quickly the first time he was asked the question, and he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Maybe some time went by and they stared at the fire a while, I don't know, but Jesus then asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do do you love me? And Peter again says, yes, you know I love you. I don't know how long Jesus waited for the third time, but it was the exact same question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? We're told that Peter was hurt when he heard the question the third time. Maybe he was hurt because he finally heard the question, and it's a difficult question, actually. Or maybe he was hurt because he remembered the last time he sat around a campfire answering questions. Only that time he denied that he was a disciple of Jesus. I am not, I am not, I am not his disciple. We always refer to that as Peter's great denial. But I actually wonder if he was then telling the truth. If to be a disciple means to follow Jesus and Jesus is going to a cross and Peter refuses to follow Jesus there, then in fact he's not a disciple, not anymore. We know about that. Peter's not the only one who's denied in his actions being a disciple. We all too would have to confess that there are times when it just costs too much to keep following Jesus. Sure. But on this side of the cross and the resurrection, that's not the question anymore. The question's not what you've done and left undone. No, the question at the end of the story is, do you love Jesus? Maybe like Peter, you want to rush to answer that question too quickly. Yes, Jesus, I told you that at confirmation. Or when I walked down the aisle, or when I gave my heart to you, or in that youth retreat, remember I said the words? Or maybe you'd want to say that you're not the kind of Christian who's real comfortable talking about loving Jesus. That's why some of us became Presbyterian. (laughs) Or maybe you want to just say, isn't it enough that I just take care of the sheep? No, because the sheep can get ugly, and they bite. (laughs) And if you are caring for them for any reason other than loving Jesus, you're not going to last long. So out of concern for you and the sheep, Jesus won't let go of this question. (laughs) Do you love him? He just, as it says in the text, he keeps asking it again and again and again. He asked the question when you decided to come to seminary, and he asked the question when you were making decisions about how you would spend your ministry when you left here. 
And he asks the question again every time you count the cost for your decision to be in ministry. The question just keeps coming. Do you love them? He asks the question, when you grow fatigued by the relentless return of Sundays, each demanding a profound sermon. He asks the question, when you get worn down by the conflicts in your parish or in the academy. He asks the question, every time you drive home exhausted in a day that was far from fulfilling. Notice the question is not, are you having a good time? The question is, do you love Jesus? Do you still love him? He's just going to keep asking. Perhaps we're best off with Peter's own response. It says, Lord, you, you know everything about me. And so you know that I, I do love you. The love is flawed. My belief is mixed with unbelief. My faith is riddled with fear. I know I'm not a very good communicator with you, but you know that I really do love you. And when we get to the bottom of our hearts and we find the love for Christ there, it's then that we're finally ready to receive the mission. Feed my sheep. Only if you're clear that you're doing it out of love for Jesus. But then Jesus goes on to make a prediction about what will happen if you follow this mission. When you were young, you girded yourself and went where you wanted to go. But when you grow older, someone else will gird you and take you to a place you would rather not go. Now, that doesn't sound real hopeful. <laughs> is Jesus saying that we, we can't have aspirations and dreams, and I just got good at strategic planning? <laughs> no, Jesus isn't saying there's anything wrong with that. He's just saying it's youthful thinking. Spiritual maturity is a matter of loving Jesus to the point that his dreams now become your dreams even if they take you someplace you would rather not go. The very first time I heard a sermon on this text, it was preached 38 years ago at my commencement from this seminary by Henry Nowen. I'll never forget that day when my friends and I walked into the great university chapel. We were all wearing our pulpit robes for the first time. We were so proud of these robes. And we may as we made our way in there, I was thinking that we are on the verge of it finally starting to happen. We are trained, it was three rigorous academic years. I'm about to get a degree. I, we've got jobs. I just joined the Board of Pensions. <laughs> I was set. <laughs> we were young. 
we girded ourselves and thought we knew where we were going. Then now and climbed the stairs of that pulpit and began to preach. He just kept relentlessly pushing Jesus' question in front of us with that accent of his. He leaned over the pulpit. He kept saying, do you love me? Do you? Do you love me? How about you? Do you love me? Do you? This is what Jesus wants to know. And I'm sitting there with my friends like, yes, yes, that's what this was all about. <laughs> but then now and went on to make his prophecy. If you say yes, it will mean meetings, meetings, and meetings, because the world loves meetings. It means parishioners who only want one thing of you, not to rock the boat. It means being subjected to endless deja vu experiences. Man, is that one true. I've served three congregations, and we've had the exact same arguments in all three of them. I mean, important things like, can the junior high eat pizza in the parlor that the women have decorated? Yeah. We, we take up a special offering, will that hurt the general offering? And I'll tell you, the worst deja vu is the exact same people kept showing up in all three churches. <laughs> they, they had different names, but it was the same person. I kept saying, what are you doing here? I thought I left you. In fact, I left because of you. Deja vu. Now and continues. But if you say yes to loving Jesus, it also means anxious hearts waiting to hear a word of comfort trembling hands eager to be touched, and broken spirits with expectations to be healed. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, they are hungry, hungry for God, hungry for love, hungry for life. Your life is not going to be easy, and it should not be easy it ought to lead you to places you would rather not go. I've lost count of how many pulpit robes have come and gone since I heard that sermon, but each of them been tattered by the nibbling of sheep and stained by my own failures. But I will tell you this, every time I put this robe back on, I hear the question again. Do you love Jesus? I dare to say yes. And then I become so grateful, so grateful that loving Jesus has led me to his dreams not where I had planned on going, but this is the point, it, it's so much better than what I had planned. 
And to be clear, I'm not talking about a career path. What I'm talking about is the anxious hearts, the, the, the trembling hands waiting to be held, the broken spirits in search of healing. What I'm talking about is surrendering to being a flawed pastor, giving my heart to a flawed congregation. Surrendering to it. In all three of those churches, nothing worthwhile happened until I surrendered my heart to the congregation as it was in that day. Or to use the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Nothing is more dangerous to authentic community than our dreams for it, because we will always love our dreams more than the community God is trying to give us. Christian community is not a human ideal to be obtained. It is a divine reality to be received. And anyone involved in congregational ministry or in a in a classroom or in the management of a nonprofit organization trying to do something worthwhile, anyone in leadership knows about the call every day to surrender. Surrender your expectations of what you thought you would be doing and with whom you would be doing it and where you would be doing it. But surrender also your failures and the hurt from that. You, you can't keep carrying that around. Surrender it. It's, it's slowing you down. Certainly, surrender any illusion of being the savior of your place of ministry. And just, just feed the sheep. But you're not going to be able to do that unless daily you choose to fall in love with Jesus again. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.